Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film The Apartment. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed without having seen the film, just be aware that we do discuss details of the plot, so a couple of things will be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Hello. Now listen here, buddy boy. We're going to do a podcast and we're going to do it right. We're going to choose all the best films of 2018. We're going to do it and we're going to do them now. What do you say? I think that sounds like a swell idea. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that was the thing I liked best about this movie, actually, is that it's it's got people talking in the, that like sort of affected tough guy voice that we like to talk in sometimes. I I, I fully enjoyed that. That was amazing. Yeah. Anyway, how are you, buddy boy? I am fine. I am fine. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's been a busy week. It's Thursday evening, recording later than usual. So I had to go to a thing yesterday to meet some people from Major League Baseball. Oh, amazing. Talk, yeah, to talk about uh, promotions that they're doing in the run-up to the London Series games, the Yankees versus Red Sox last weekend of June. Um, they're going to be kind of running this sort of entry-level softball league thing, and it's like how they can get people to engage from that then to join like our softball leagues and baseball leagues um after that so it's about like kind of yeah it was a really cool really cool thing i can't say too much else about it because there's still some confidential stuff but yeah that was a fun thing but that was what i had to go and do yesterday so that's why i was not available to record yesterday did you meet mr baseball himself i did tom Selleck was there (laughs) (laughs) with a with a mustache and also mr met have you ever seen mr met I have not seen Mr. Met, no. He's the mascot of the Mets, and he's Is literally... Is he a big baseball? He's literally just a big baseball. Oh, amazing. Like, a terrifying kind of, like, baseball face on top of a human body. You can just imagine, like, you know, it's all well and good having a mascot like that, but imagine if that was real life. If you're walking down the street in the middle of the night, and at the corner of your eye, you caught this weird, like, globe thing at the end of the road, underneath a flickering light, and it slowly turned to face you, and you realised, oh my god, that thing's got a human face. And it goes, hello, <laughs> do you, do you like the Mets? I love the Mets. As you like, quickly take off your Yankees cap and hide it. Let me sing you a song about the Mets. <laughs> and then he gets out an accordion. Yeah, and, you're and like, then oh, starts no, chasing the you down the street. There's um. The way I walk in the morning when I get out of the station, I go through this like this little subway, and there's a busker in there. Probably three days out of the five that I go, or out of four, there's a there's a busker in there playing the accordion, and he's always playing the exact same music. And like I, I find it irritating, obviously, but like for him, it just must be the worst. It's like, why would you not just learn some new material, or is it just because it's easy? It's like about a minute. A two minutes worth loop of music like and i could probably sing it to you right now because i've heard it so many times but it's like why would you not just choose to do some other stuff or is it just because like that's all he knows and it's easy to just keep repeating the same thing over and over brainlessly because the accordion is quite a difficult instrument he's got it out for you paddy that's what it is 
you, you think it's 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 sorely for me as soon as i <laughs> as soon as i get playing, around the corner <laughs> he's playing all sorts all the time but then as soon as he sees you he's like right time to switch it up a gear yeah let's go back to that song that that man hates <laughs> it's like it's not even polka music it's like sort of folky he knows that you hate it and so he just keeps doing it sorry i've been distracted i'm home i'm home alone tonight and so not home I'm, alone too not i'm not lost in new york Damn. um but that means tim curry's not going to join this party he is not but the thing that is joining this party is the cat uh because normally i lock it away um, <laughs> in a box <laughs> i lock it, i lock her away in a box she loves the box <laughs> Just um, call no, me Robert Schrodinger. No, no, normally, I I lock her out of the room, but today because there's no one else around, I thought, oh, you know what? Sh- I shouldn't do that in case something happens. Um, but that does mean that she's in here with me, and I am concerned that at some point she's going to be a dickhead because that is her default position. Yeah, she's going to get all up in the mixing desk, right? It, exactly, exactly. She she loves to play with mixing desks. She's so like, hey, I know how to do sound. What does this phantom power button do? <laughs> <laughs> just just suddenly a ton of reverb um, yeah. because she embodies every single sound guy at any gig ever some <laughs> sometimes like podcasters do put reverb on their voices and it's really disconcerting yeah it's strange isn't it i i, I can i can understand it sometimes i listen to like horror podcasts where they put the odd effect on their voice and i'm like okay oh yeah i can i can un- it's still not great i'd rather you just talked in a normal voice but I can kind of understand it there. But then when you're listening to something that's not in that kind of horror environment and suddenly you're hit with a ton of reverb and you're like, ooh, ooh, no. Um, yeah, no- note, for the edit. note for the edit, Paddy, put a fuckload of reverb <laughs> yeah. on my voice. I'll see what settings I've got. It's the latest version of Logic. There's some pretty ooh, good patches in there. Ooh. Space designer. Hmm, I wonder, is it going to stop working if I try and put reverb on it right now <laughs> <laughs> while I'm recording? Do you want to take that risk and potentially become a podcast legend? Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to take the risk. Okay, space designer. Let's see what... Oh, no, it, it won't let you do it while you're recording. Oh, that. mate. Yeah. Get, get in touch. And oh, no, like, wait. Hey, um, it's come up with a little um, a little, no- little note saying space D will be added after the current recording ends. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love a bit of space D. <laughs> Ever ever seen a space D? <laughs> I need my fix of space D. Yeah. Um. So, uh. So, shall we talk a little bit about the apartment? Yeah, buddy boy, buddy boy. So this is from 1960. It is. And what um the thing that surprised me most was just uh, went to look at it. I was like, this is two hours long. That's quite long. But actually, a lot of films at that time were long, weren't they? Yeah, we've had this before, haven't we? We've been looking at some of the some of the older films, and although you know you, you do get, go through that period where like ninety minutes was the general length of films, um, a lot of them do hit around the two hour mark. And, and these days, of course, films are all closer to three hours because you need to have an hour of dialogue, an hour of sex, and then an hour of people like punching each other and having magical powers. Yes, and and you have to keep them entirely separate. You need to have. You need to have that hour of dialogue at the beginning. People just sitting in a room. Then they have an orgy. Yeah. Then the orgy stops and they're angry with one another and they fight. I am Man and Wolverine are sitting in a library. They they spend an hour, you know, talking about gardening. 
and then they have sex for an hour, and then there's a big fight. That is yeah. literally all Marvel movies. <laughs> that is exactly what modern cinema is. Yeah, apart from Black Panther, which is different from all of them because it won an Oscar for one of the things, as I said, that only nerds care about. Production design, <laughs> costumes. Yeah, it won. It won for costumes and production and stuff like that. It's it, the kind of un the, the unsung categories that actually make a hell of a lot of a difference to how a movie is. Um, it won for those. So kudos to Black Panther. But it still has a problem of at the end everybody punching each other. <laughs> yeah. What is just, what is it with all the punching? You know, uh, why can't they kick each other? Instead? Give me a bit of kicking. <laughs> give me a bit of stabbing. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's really it was really nice to watch an old black and white film from 1960 that was just very very different to a lot of the stuff that we watch in every in every possible way. Not that we watch Marvel movies or you you do. Obviously, I don't. Well, but... I, d- I don't. I try to avoid them where I can. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, well, don't we all? But so- somehow they creep in, don't they? Yeah, they always manage to break into your consciousness somehow. I, I do try and avoid them where I can because I am a little bit tired of. The, well, I'm tired of the Marvel formula in particular. Um, like I'm, I'm all, I'm all for silly action movies, but Marvel movies in particular, I find a little bit too safe, a little bit too samey, and so I get a bit tired of them. Um, but it, even though I don't watch a lot of films like that, I, it was nice to sit down and watch something a little bit more traditional. Um, and and um, you know, I do love a good black and white movie. Yeah, and it's like, it's an early example of a romantic comedy, isn't it? Because the you know the 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 romantic comedy as a, a concept in cinema doesn't actually stretch back that far. So it's or as far as perhaps some other genres. So it it feels like an early incarnation of some of the things that become tropes later down the line, but it doesn't feel tropey at all. And it's it's really really funny. There are lots of really enjoyable lines. And yeah, I, I enjoyed this film. Did you? Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. And it, it, in in terms of the romantic comedy, I suppose um, this bridges the gap. So so quite a lot of earlier, there's always been comedies with romantic elements, you know. But yep. this this has that kind of mundane day to day situation that kind of separates it from some of the other more bombastic movies that came before it that would fit into a romantic comedy genre so it's quite interesting to see like this movie in particular it's quite low-key a lot of the time it It really is quite grounded and the thing i think i remarked on this when we watched barefoot in the park and um charade and some of the, the other films from the 60s um where so many of the scenes go on for a really long time and usually when we we see that in a um a contemporary film i i i find that to be problematic i'm always like okay we get it yeah this scene has served its purpose um move on to the next thing because we expect punchier storytelling but actually when you when it's contextualized when long scenes are contextualized within the storytelling conventions of the 60s it kind of makes sense and you're like okay fine i don't mind that we've been in his apartment for however long i don't mind that we've been in this office for however long that because they're talking in a a realistic way but there's enough kind of funny snappy dialogue to make it feel kind of nice yeah and i and i feel as though this movie doesn't it doesn't have the same kind of drag that that barefoot in the park and charade have um i i I don't want to say that i enjoy this movie more than the other two because i think i kind of i maybe didn't enjoy it as much as what this movie doesn't have is robert redford with a bin on his head exactly there's a lack of bin in this movie 
which which knocks it down at least 10 points let's be honest and i got to say as well that it does include old lang syne so <laughs> for me for me i'm afraid it's a naught out of 20 immediate disqualification <laughs> on those grounds does it does it not gain some points for the fact that she walks out in the middle of old lang syne doing that's what tr- all that's of us true, want actually. to do whenever old lang syne <laughs> starts playing that's very very true actually yeah she she go by the time he turns around and the song's song's over she's gone which is what yeah. i would do sure exactly um yeah so so i think the the way that this movie is paced i think it it feels more modern than a lot of um films from the 60s i think there's something to it where although although the scenes are quite lengthy i think it moves along at a decent enough pace that it it never feels like it's dragging yeah i think it's it's very well paced actually and you're like well how can they string this out for two hours but what you get is actually a lot of character development and that's a good thing because it's really, really building up the characters. Even even the less important characters, like Mr. Sheldrake or whatever, you actually do get little bits of him and his family and his backstory and whatever, and you're like, oh, okay, fine. That that actually informs the plot quite well. Yeah, I, th- I think the way that it... You're, you're absolutely bang on about the way that it frames its characters and the way that it slowly builds them up. Um, and, even, and, and even the minor characters. So, um, so <laughs> like the person that um, our boy Jack Lemons is going to have a fling with. Um, I've forgotten her name. Uh, Mrs. Jockey. <laughs> married, married to a oh, jockey. Oh, yeah, she's married to a jockey. And she gives this amazing backstory about how her husband is imprisoned in Cuba for doping horses. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, like was, was people Were people going to Cuba to dope horses? Was he racing horses in Cuba? That's like, the thing. I don't know anything about um, the context of horses in Cuba. Obviously, you know, uh, this is, is... Is this post-Bay of Pigs or pre-Bay of Pigs? I can't remember when that was. My historical knowledge is not good enough to tell you that. Because Bay of Pigs is where um, the American Nine government... Nails is best song. The, that's where the, um, the American government uh, airdropped a load of pigs onto Cuba to yeah. try and damaged their economy but it didn't work um no so Bay well, they pigs thought was... the pigs were going to um steal all of the people's jobs exactly exactly yeah. um oh no bay of pigs was 1961 so this was pre-bay of pigs all right so cuba's um, pig free at this point so <laughs> so, cuba's so the horses free. have got free reign over cuban society <laughs> and they're doping left right and center yeah exactly. everyone, everyone knows any fool know when when the pigs came in, they took the dope off the horses and started taking it for themselves, and then all the horses died because they were addicted to dope and they couldn't get it. <laughs> but it's really interesting how they do put that frame of reference of, of Castro in here because, you know, the Cuban Revolution, when was that? That was about, what, 50... Was that 52, 53, something like that? Something like that. Um, and, and so you've got... Um, um, no, sorry, not 52, 53. It's like 50... It's, it's late 50s, isn't it? Well, like it's, mid to late fifties. It was um, technically started in the early fifties, though. It's kind of a long movement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 so like that that was like a big talking point in American consciousness at the time. And it's interesting just to see it dropped in here. Um, I suppose like a a romantic comedy these days talking about Trump. Um, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, and 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 it really sort of like grounds it in this reality, doesn't it? It's like oh, oh okay, yeah. They would be talking about Castro and, and whether you think yeah. he's a cool dude or not. And she would be drinking in a in a bar on her own. Yes. Mrs. McDougal. Mrs. McDougal, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Who has a very annoying voice. 
<laughs> but a, a lovable character. And I think apart from the terrible bosses in this film, the characters are really great, aren't they? They definitely inspired the film Horrible Bosses. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um yeah, I love the um yeah, there's the ones who are always calling him buddy boy. There's like two of them <laughs> every 5 seconds. Hey buddy boy, what are you doing buddy boy? Hi buddy boy. And then later on they're like when they they start to turn on him because he won't let them use the apartment. They're like we don't owe buddy boy anything. But they also call him up and they say, "Oh, buddy boy, you've been having a, having yourself a little toot, have you?" <laughs> <laughs> really made me chuckle because, you know, they didn't they didn't have Twitter in those days. No, exactly. They wouldn't have been able to go hashtag buddy boy. Hashtag buddy boy. Done yourself a little toot. <laughs> a little hashtag toot. Yeah, or um, have you to- have you tooted? Which is what what my mother calls a fart. Yeah, tooting is a um is not only a place but also the <laughs> of passing yeah. gas. Um <laughs> And also tooting beck, B E C. What is a beck? I've never understood that one. Isn't it a loser baby? <laughs> so why don't you kill me <laughs> and also isn't Beck Beck Hansen the musician isn't he a Scientologist is he now which seems very odd for someone as cool as him yeah maybe he's secretly a doofus yeah he's, he's had us he's played us all for chumps yeah but yeah to- tooting there's there's no actual tooting in this film but they they accuse Buddy Boy of having himself a toot which they- I think means a party in this context yes um, unless, unless uh, they mean a fart party, of course. Yeah, a which fart were all party. the rage in the early sixties. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, everyone's very, very prudish about farts now. But back then, everyone was like, "Let's get together and just fart." But also, there was nothing else to do, especially if you like didn't have money. So if you if you got money, you can go out to the bars and stuff or whatever. But you know, if you can't afford a TV, then and you can't afford to go to the bars, all you can do is sit around and fart to entertain each other. Yeah, sit around and fart and hope that someone's gonna drop some pigs onto an island <laughs> yeah and you can hear about it on the wireless yeah you know, the, the, the original title of this was the apartment of course <laughs> and basically yeah it's about you, how all Paddy, these, the senior ex- senior executives need an apartment to go to to fart in because you they can't have, fart in front of the, their co-workers you have just stolen my file name god <laughs> damn it um a, a little bit of how the sausage is made here when we record this podcast dear listeners I always send over um, the file name with an immature pun inserted instead of one of the words of the um, of the movie title. So this was going to be the apartment, but now no, I have you, to come up with something else. You got to think of something else now. I, I won't say any because then I'll just keep spoiling it. No, but no. last week's was dear shite people. <laughs> very very good. I'm trying to remember what mo- the best one was. The one that made me literally cry. Um, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah <laughs> oh dear um but yeah uh, it, it's it's great this film i really enjoyed it i thought that um that the 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 sort of romantic side of it um i liked how slow burn it was and how you never really had that big dramatic um romantic moment between them no. and that was really neat i really liked that they don't even kiss at the end. They she don't just sit, even kiss. She sits down and she's like, let's play cards. And he's like, I love you. And she's like, whatever. And then that's the end of the film. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, a, which is great. Yeah. He's like, I adore you. I adore you. And then she's like, oh, deal the cards. You gem end. <laughs> that's not the actual line. I can't remember what the actual no. line is. but Deal the cards and fart. <laughs> deal the cards and fart. Yeah. 
Um, but but yes, it, it is quite a slow burn. But at the same time, there are lots of scenes where people talk in quite explicit terms about love and emotion and actually say what they're feeling in quite interesting ways and and in ways that actually people again people's expectations of storytelling are more towards show not tell now than they were then so actually there is a fair amount of showing in the form of people talking about love and their feelings but it still works and it's still nice and that takes the place of um character development or contributes to it yes yeah and and it it's it is nice to see it so openly discussed here and um and and the way that it frames like infidelity and things like that um with a focus on the predatory element of bosses i thought was really interesting um because this movie doesn't paint like the capitalist model in a particularly strong light which is quite refreshing to see yeah i think actually it's it's a bit of an anti-capitalist thing isn't it because he's, you know, he is trying to move up the ranks and he accepts all of the promotions and things that are given to him, but it's, you can tell that he feels uncomfortable. And then later on, he, he resists. You know, it's a sort of, it's a it's a Herman Melville, Bartleby, I would prefer not to moment, isn't it? Isn't it? When he gives him, um, you think he's giving Mr. Mr. Durham, Mr. Sheldrake the key to the apartment, but he is in fact giving him back the key to the executive bathroom. That's a really, really nice moment. Yeah, it's a really good moment. And 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 the way that this film frames sort of like, you know, he's not he's clearly a competent um employee, but the way he's getting up the ranks isn't through hard work and dedication. It's it's kind of a um it's undermining the idea of meritocracy. Uh, and the idea of meritocracy is so interwoven into the capitalist model and particularly into the American dream where you know, the whole idea of the American dream is you go out and you do what you're good at and you're gonna do well and here it's well if you help your bosses out through their horrible disgusting cheating romances then you're gonna get a leg up um and whereas and the, the way, guy who works next to him who's been there for a year longer than him doesn't get shit and and the, the way that it frames um these bosses as um going after the younger women who work in their companies and stuff like that um, and frames it frames them as the the negative people in the movie it's quite refreshing um and you know you, d- you didn't always get that in films at that time no definitely not no it's, it's very very good in that respect but at the same time you don't feel like it's like massively going for it in terms of judging them but it as it's it's his story and the they are the antagonists as it were so their actions in terms of infidelity and everything are at odds with his kind of just trying to live a nice normal life. Yeah, he just wants he just wants a nice normal night to he himself. Peace and quiet. Having a cup of tea. Yeah. And um and his his neighbour, um, Dr. Dreyfus, eventually tells him, like, you know, you have to be a mensch, which which he says just means like being a human. And then so and then at the end he's like, I've decided to become a mensch <laughs> which is quite yes. funny. But also at the same time you're like, actually, yeah, that is trying to bring in that human element into capitalism and that is at odds with capitalism in this film and again yeah as you say that's quite refreshing yes yeah it's it's nice to see and it's not it's not it's not sort of like heavy-handed with that kind of thing but it's good to see a little subtle dig yeah for sure because at the moment i don't know about you but i'm sick of capitalism yeah i think i've had enough I've, I've, i've had it with it let's let's go back to you know some kind of agrarian lifestyle (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Everything just being based around potatoes. That's what I I want. And I mean, that's where we might go with Brexit. So we might get our wish. Potatoes and pigs. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be wanting people to airdrop pigs on us because we won't have any farming. We'll be desperate for pork shops. Yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah, it's nice to see that kind of element in this movie. And you know, like even though no one's really... Well, you know, there are bad guys in here, but no one's like an absolute villain. Even so, the bad guys are the bosses. Yeah. Even the guy who punches him. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, and so it's, it's yeah, I like this film a lot. It was good. Yeah, it's cool. So basically, if, if you haven't seen it, it's about a guy who's a young, young worker at an insurance company in New York and has an apartment that he is um, loans to the bosses of the company, lots of them, when they want to have extramarital affairs. Um, but he starts to grow tired of it, and then it becomes a complicated plot between him, sort of, as you say, in a slow burn, falling in love with Fran, the elevator operator, um, who has also been having an on-off thing with the director of personnel, Mr. Sheldrake, with whom, who is also responsible for his promotions. So, yeah, so that seems like a pretty classic romantic comedy setup. Isn't it? There's nothing necessarily massively original about that, but it does feel original in the way that it is told, and that the, the fun that it has with, with dialogue and with people. Yes, yeah, and and it does it does toy with things like that. It never, it never delves. Well, it very rarely delves into a kind of rompish comedy without right humour. Um, but there's there's lots of you know cute dialogue and and there's the odd funny moment. Um, a, a few bits of physical comedy as well in slight ways, sort of like the way he, that he tips his cap and things like that. Um, and the way that it kind of shows their relationship, you know, at the moment, it's clear that there's a chemistry between them and you get the sense that, you know, um, CC Baxter has a little bit of a crush on Fran. Yeah, um, yeah, and you, sure. get, you get that kind of idea, but there's nothing there doesn't seem to be anything major about it. But then obviously, as it goes on, you see that they get to know each other a little bit more. And um, and then particularly during there's a the very dramatic moment where she tries to well I think it's implied that she tries to kill herself with with sleeping pills. Yeah, you don't see um, it, but he he finds her in his bed after she's been left there by Mr. Sheldrake, and she's taken all his pills. And um, you know, it's it's kind of it, it's a real shake up of the tone of the movie. Um, and and I'm not sure how um how accurate for a modern day its representation of that kind of event is in terms of accuracy and in terms of how it should be portrayed but i think for the time at least it does it in a in a better way than other movies may have done yeah i think if you were making this now you would be very very sensitive about that and especially about the the use of something as serious as suicide as essentially to be a plot device but it's for the time it works Yes, yeah, I've seen much worse done in movies in the 60s or 70s or 80s or modern day with with regards to mental illness. Um, the, the, one movie that sort of, you often think that movies do a better job with it uh, these days, but there's this, there's this Ryan Reynolds um, horror comedy, I suppose. Okay, you lost um, me at Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> called The Voices where he's a guy who has some kind of mental illness. It's implied to be either um, split personality disorder or schizophrenia. Um, And then he stops taking his pills and then he becomes a serial killer and he cuts off people's heads and keeps them in his fridge. And it's like, Jesus Christ, man. (laughs) 
women in refrigerators etc yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and and like there's the odd moment in it that's funny but it's just like fucking hell dude you can't get away with making a movie like this nowadays it's so ridiculous has he ever done um, anything good ryan reynolds ryan reynolds yeah he's done Des- deadpool oh hang on hang on well i haven't seen that but also he is involved in detective pikachu isn't he he is detective pikachu okay in that case he's totally fine and he gets a pass from me <laughs> In because fact, in I, real... I love Detective Pikachu and I can't wait to see it. In fact, little known fact about Ryan Reynolds, um, every time you've seen Ryan Reynolds up to this point, um, that is in fact a CGI version of Ryan Reynolds. The real Ryan Reynolds is Detective Pikachu. Yeah. Um, he's had to hide it throughout his career that he is a tiny electric mouse. Oh, so finally um, he's he's coming out. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Also, having just quickly Googled him, it, I have find that he has been on the TV show King of Masked Singer, which is the one of the greatest things ever. Have you ever seen this? It's, I have not. No. It's a Korean TV show where people sing with masks on and then they get unmasked and it's a celebrity. But I, I know of it because um, a baseball player called Eric Thames, who I really like and who is really goofy, was on it. And he sang a Stevie Wonder song and it was really good. And because he played Korean baseball, they, they all know who he is and they all go mad for him. It's great. Okay. I have a fair bit of time for, for old Ryan Reynolds. Also, he's Canadian. Um, yes. And <laughs> obviously that makes <laughs> everything okay. He was in the not terrible remake of the Amityville Horror. Um, he's in the quite bad third Blade movie, but that I kind of enjoy despite myself. Um, and and he's been in the odd funny film here and there. In fact, you know, one movie that I'd like to watch for this podcast at some point, Adventureland. Yes, um, yeah. which is which is which is an interesting movie. Um, and yeah, so he's he's had an interesting career of various bits and bobs over the years. Um, so I, I've got a fair bit of I've got a fair bit of time for old Ryan, and he is in Deadpool, and Deadpool is really funny. See, I've, I've not seen any of those, but I have heard good good things. Yes, yeah, I I like a bit of Ryan. He's a good one in my book. Cool, yeah. Roll on, Detective Pikachu. How did we get? Roll on, Detective Pikachu. How did we get onto Ryan Reynolds? Oh, um, because he's in a piece of shit film about mental illness. Oh right, yeah. So that so that's not good, but he will forgive him because he's done some other yeah. good stuff. He's done some good stuff. He didn't write he's done it. Some good stuff. But yeah, no, that you're you're right. That no, that I think what I was getting at is that people are a lot more sensitive to these kind of issues now, but it doesn't mean that they don't get it clangingly wrong sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um and and it's um and and I think yeah that in in general its portrayal of mental illness in this film and its portrayal of suicide is pretty pretty all right. I think for the time, yeah, um, it, it gets a pass, just about. Yeah, and the the doctor deals with it in a very very serious way, but still manages to keep light hearted and make it into being about a mensch, which I appreciate. So yeah, yes. it's good. Every, you should try to be a mensch. Be a mensch. Always, always try and be a mensch. Yeah. A mensch on a bench. Yes. <laughs> which is, have you seen the mensch on the bench? No, it's um, the elf on the shelf. It is. It's um, it's it's the Jewish equivalent of the elf on the shelf. Uh, Um, I think a rabbi came up with it a few years ago, and you can actually buy like a little box that has a little mensch on it, and it tells the story of um, Hanukkah. Oh my god, I love him! I've just searched for him. He's he's cute. You know, he's he's, I want one. He looks way more friendly than the extremely creepy elf on the shelf. He does. He does. He looks. He looks very cool. And the tagline, add more Funaka to Hanukkah. 
<laughs> oh, it's a it's a Shark Tank idea. It came from Shark Tank, which is American for Dragon's Den. That's great. Um, by the way, can I just add, Dragon's Den is a much better name than Shark Tank. Shark Tank sorry. is an aw- awful so, name. Sorry, America. <laughs> <laughs> you, why why have you chosen that name? It's terrible. Dragon's Den, all over it. Got alliteration. Dragons are scarier yeah. than sharks. Yeah, sharks are quite scary, but yeah, I'd rather face a shark than a dragon. Also, the metaphor, you go into the dragon's den to get the gold. That's why you go there. Sharks are not known for giving anything other than bites. (laughs) You have no reason to go in the shark tank. You'll get bitten by shark money. (laughs) Yeah, it makes no (laughs) sense. Exactly. So come on, guys, get with the program. I always liked how um, Charlie Brooker said that it should have been called Bastard's Hole. <laughs> yes. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so, so um, what, what next about, what next about um, the apartment? Um, let's see. I wanted to talk about um, the music. Um, he has this wonderful, like, mournful recurring saxophone theme that kind of follows him around. And all of the like little thematic bits of the music that keep cropping up again, I think it really, really works really, really well. And the, the little bits they've been in my head all day, just sitting there at my desk at work, going, it's, it's really, really nice and really good. Yeah, it's great actually. It's um, it's a really, it's a really clever um score. And I think there's a lot of moments in it that also sort of. There's this brilliant moment when he's running around the apartment and he's got the um, he's got the record on, um, mm. where where you know the record is playing and it feels like it's part of the score, but then when he takes it off again, you're suddenly hit with the fact that actually that that wasn't just part of the score that was playing across the acts of the of the of the movie. That was that was an actual physical act within the film itself, and I thought that was really clever. That really struck me. Its use of music was very clever. Which again, I feel is actually a bit of a trope now, or that that happens quite a lot in contemporary films, where like someone will press play on a record, and then suddenly like it's booming around, it's part of the soundtrack, and everyone's dancing to it, and whatever. This I feel, this is kind of an early example of that kind of integration where it really, really works. And I feel like a lot of this film is sort of proto stuff that we that we enjoy in, in later in films, and even down to the imagery and the way things are shot and the depiction of work and office work as well. The first few shots where we see him at his desk and there's just like endless rows of desks stretching back. That's like a really classic image, but it comes from films like this. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's, 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 you know, they, they often talk about um, Citizen Kane as being one of those films that really introduced a lot of um, modern tropes or the films of Alfred. seen it. It's about a man and he loves his cane. Loves his cane so much. Um, As in like sugar cane. Yeah, he's just there chowing down on sugar cane. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, between between that and Hitchcock, they're the two kind of, um, well, you know, a movie and then a work of an individual director that are often attributed with introducing a lot of the tropes that modern cinema comes up with, along with the um, French cinema of the 60s as well. Um, but in reality, there's lots of other films that were making those strides forward in subtle ways. And and that what struck me about The Apartment is how well it felt. It, it felt so natural. It felt so easy to watch. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And it felt contemporaneous with what we know of the 60s and stuff as well. It didn't necessarily feel like it was groundbreaking. But when you compare it to films that we watch now, you realize that it is which is which is lovely 
Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's great. I wonder um, how much his apartment would cost to rent now. I, I know, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so one thing I wanted to bring up was that, um, you know, this is directed by Billy Wilder. Mm-hmm. Um, huge number of hits in the 50s and, and 60s. Um, and... Um, and and was um written by uh what was it what's the name um IAL Diamond and that's the same duo who did some like it hot um just yes. the year before um which is you know another great romantic comedy um but like i mentioned earlier that's that it's that more kind of over the top um more uh, dramatic more energetic kind of comedy and it's interesting comparing the two just with a year's difference um, you know, two very critically acclaimed movies, um, but with a very, very different tone. And 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 it's interesting to see how how flawlessly they're able to make that switch from one kind of movie to another. Yeah, for sure. And you, you forget as well that the studios at these times they were really churning them out as well. It was like work, you know. That it's like here's one film, okay, here's another film. Just keep going, you just keep going, and it's hit after hit after hit. And it's a time of excess as well. Um, my when I was talking to my dad about this film because it was his request, um, he said that it's it's also a good look at this sort of the the time period that's portrayed in shows like Mad Men, where there's all of this stuff just happening relentlessly, and it's it's a time of excess and wealth and greed, and it's all of that kind of does does tie into the the filmmaking itself as well. Yeah, it, you're you're completely bang on with that. Um, you know that Mad Men, right? I've never really watched it. I've watched the odd episode here and there and thought it was good. Same, same here. I, I but, bought the, I think I even bought the box set, but you know, this is back in the days when it was all about box sets. And and I watched the first couple and I was like, this is good, but there are thousands of episodes and it's all John Hamm drinking whiskey. And you know, there's other stuff I got to do, but you know, I, I'm like that with every TV show. I think the only one that I watched all of it was the wire. And then that was oh, know, yeah. when I was a student and I had nothing else to do. Yeah. But, the wire is very good. Apart from, um, you know, study for my degree, obviously. Yeah, the, I, I think it, it's kind of a cliche to say that The Wire is really, really good, isn't it? But it is really good. But it is, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a great. really good TV show. Um, speaking of good TV shows, your favourite show is back soon, Game of Thrones. I know how much you Oh, yeah, it. it's my fave. I've watched definitely all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited um, about I like Game it when the one, the one throne wins the boxing match against the smaller throne. Exactly, it's just kicking the shit out of each other. These two thrones. That's got dragons in it, hasn't it? Game it does. It does call dragons that dragons then. <laughs> but um, the one thing that's going to interest me is that um, I think there's going to be a very big backlash against Game of Thrones, regardless of how it ends. I think there's going to be a big percentage of the people who watch the end of it and are very unhappy with it, and I might be included in that number, um, because. There's lots of people who watch Game of Thrones for different reasons. Is this um, the last season? This is the last season of Game of Thrones. They're going to do a right. prequel at some point. Um, but in terms of the finale of the the, the overall story, this is going to be it. Um, but there's lots and of George people George R. R. Martin has been writing another book for about 20 odd years, hasn't he? Yes, exactly. And I don't know when that's going to release. And he wrote, he wrote some prequel book that came out recently, right? Yes, yeah um and and yeah, i'd like um, i would like to read the books yeah well i think the i do think the tv show is very good um 
But lots of people watch it for different reasons. So some people watch it for the political intrigue of it and the backstabbing Bollocks. and all of no, that. Nobody watches it for the political intrigue. People watch it because it's Tolkien with tits. It's because <laughs> Stop it's, quoting it's not Charlie cool. Brooker. <laughs> it's not cool to like Lord of the Rings or whatever or The Hobbit or like actual fantasy. It's cool to like Game of Thrones because it's got boobs in it. That's why people watch it. Boobs I, I think you'll find that Lord of the Rings is one of the biggest selling book series of all time, and the movies are some of the most successful of all time, Paddy. Nah, it is definitely fine. It is definitely fine to enjoy Lord of the Rings. No, they ruined Peter Jackson's career. What's he done lately? <laughs> and um, and I yeah, saw him so... playing the accordion in the subway just last week, <laughs> and he hates you. Um, <laughs> and and so. Lots of people watch it for different reasons. So it's got all of this political side of it. It's got all of it's very entrenched in the history of things like the War of the Roses, and people watch it for that. And they they were a little bit disappointed that the last series was so dramatic and so action heavy. Other people right. watch it for the big dragons. Other people watch it for the shocking moments where characters die that you weren't expecting. And so you've got these three strands of people who watch Game of Thrones. You've got the people who, and and all of those are going to want different endings to it. So you're going to want some people, some people are going to want the end to revolve around who gets the throne at the end. Some people are going to watch it. Hoping you're telling me they're going to end it without someone getting a throne? Yeah, well, you know. What's it all knows? been for? <laughs> and, and you want some people who want shocking moments where the bad guys win and the good guys get beaten and stuff like that. So how are they going to end it? Are they going to end it with... A battle for the throne are they going to end it with a big battle against the ice zombies which is what it's all been building up to or are they going There's to pull ice the... zombies there are ice zombies it's fucking great paddy <laughs> it, it is full of fantasy nonsense but it's the kind of interesting fantasy nonsense that the kind of tolkien knockoffs can't quite get right um and 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 so yeah so there's the people who are looking forward to the big battle against the ice zombies and then there's the people who are like oh yeah i really want the horrible evil people to win because some people are sociopaths and want that kind of stuff um so so one of these three strands might be correct the other two are going to be really pissed off and it's going to be fascinating to see what the fallout of that is particularly given that other companies are doubling down on fantasy stuff and it may well be that after the end of game of thrones um, the, fan- the the other fantasy series that are coming out may well not find as big an audience because people are like, oh, I'm done with Game of Thrones now. I don't want to watch anything with dragons in anymore. Yeah. Well, they won't be watching Dragon's Den then. No, they will not be watching Dragon's Den. But, you know, you've got the Lord of the Rings TV series coming out, um, which they announced today, in fact, that it's going to be set in the second... The, what are they? The, the ages? Are they the ages of Tolkien's lore? It's the... It's the second age of Tolkien's law, which I don't think anything's really been written about majorly. So well, apart can... from the Silmarillion, probably, which well, nobody, think... nobody has ever actually read. I think the Silmarillion is the first age. <laughs> right. So you've got like 4,000 years that they can go through where Tolkien wrote like two short stories about it. And the rest of it's all like backstory hidden within the other Lord of the Rings books. So like they can do whatever the fuck they want. If they want to give elves like laser swords, they can do it if they want. That sounds cool. Um, which I would be fully on board with. But then you've got The Wheel of Time as well. Um, but it may well be, but by the time these series come out, people might have been so annoyed by the end of Game of Thrones that they don't want to watch anything else with a fantasy setting. Well, as you which, know, I, I'm into The Wheel of Time, so I'm very, very up for that. But there's that... nary a single boob in any of The Wheel of Time. <laughs> Apart from the main character. <laughs> yeah. Apart from all of the readers. Whoop. 
<laughs> oh dear. How the how the hell do we get onto that? I forgot. I, I do not know. Let's go um, back to the apartment. It's good. I yes, enjoyed it. The, the performances the are very, good. very good as well. Um yeah, especially CC Baxter, Jack Lemon. He's really he's very, very charismatic and fun. Um, and just goofy enough to be engaging, but serious when he needs to be. It's yeah, his performance is great, and yes. it carries the film obviously. Because if you have a very flat performance when there's a lot of characterization and a lot of talky stuff, it doesn't. Yeah, it just falls flat, doesn't it? Yeah, and 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 they they both do a great job. So Jack Lemmon and um, Shirley MacLaine, they're brilliant in this. Um, works incredibly well. Um, and and on top of that, you know, the supporting cast as well is fantastic. Um, you, you've got some real every every performance stands out. Everyone feels like an individual um, from from the the smallest role in the film through to the biggest. Um, particularly uh, Fred McMurray as as Mister Sheldrake, he's great in this. Yeah, as the kind of head honcho, biggest douchebag. Um, he's a really great character here. He's very slick, isn't he? Yes, yeah. Um and and so yeah, it's it's good. I like it. It is good. There's also a bit where he's um what eating fried chicken and drinking coke in front of the TV, so you know what changes. <laughs> Precisely. Precisely. Um so I like it when she says that's the way it crumbles cookie wise. <laughs> Which I think is a <laughs> yeah. thing I'm going to start saying. There's a few nice refrains in this movie where they repeat lines, isn't there? So you've got that where Cece Baxter says it, and then a Fran says it, um, and and then there's some there's some great little quotes as well. So like when Fran says, uh, "When you're in love with a married man, you shouldn't wear mascara." Um, yeah, some really clever little lines of dialogue in here, which are which are really great. And and like sixties movies and fifties movies, they're always really good at getting across those kind of lines, those little quips. Um, that you kind of register a couple of seconds later, um, and so it's it's really good to see that kind of stuff in this movie. And this is one of the best examples of it that I've seen. I think. Yeah, I love I love a good quip. Yes, for sure. I also appreciate the resourcefulness of a man who strains his pasta through a tennis racket. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm definitely trying that. <laughs> I want to give that a go. Yeah, and like, would the holes be small enough? Yeah, it's very very odd. If if you have ever done it, let us know. How, how yeah, has it gone for give you? Us, give us a shout. Have you ever um, <laughs> have you ever strained pasta through a tennis racket? Yeah, but would um, a badminton racket be better? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, because the, the the holes are smaller, aren't they? Yeah, or a squash yeah. racket maybe. A squash racket. Yeah. But um, yeah, do you have anything else to say about it? Because we've got about ten minutes till I need to go, so we need and we need to talk about our own Oscars. We do, we do. So quick trivia: um, this was the last black and white movie to win Best Picture, basically. Wow! Apart from, apart from you know, the artist won it in twenty eleven, but that doesn't count because that was nostalgic for black and white. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, this was, that was the last black and white movie to win. Wow, that's really really cool. Um, which yeah, which is I I thought was really neat, and and what a great sort of last um, last movie to use, um, in a less exciting bit of trivia, you know when he's using that nasal spray, yeah, that was milk, 
because oh. Nigel Spray wouldn't show up on the camera. So he was just spraying milk up his nose, which must have been horrible. That is horrendous. Um, I hate that so much. <laughs> I need enjoy that. Oh, um, I hate I hate milk. I don't drink milk on its own. I can have it in things, but like the idea of drinking milk, uh, no, revolting. <laughs> but yeah, so so that will do for the trivia. So we can move on. So <laughs> do you want to? Should we rate the movie now? Yeah, um, let's rate it. Let's see how many. How many horny bosses use your apartment? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the that's the obvious answer. Yeah, <laughs> the film the film Horny Bosses that would be that would be the the remake of it for today's <laughs> Horny Bosses. Horny Bosses. Um, <laughs> let's see. I have I'm going to say 17 horny bosses using my apartment. There's a lot of them. I've nice. got to get another another key. Nice. I'm How I'm going for you? I'm going for 15 horny bosses. Yeah. Good, uh, a good is... number of horny bosses are using my apartment. Yeah, wasn't that uh, like one of those adult nursery rhymes? Fifteen horny bosses. <laughs> Fifteen horny bosses using your apartment. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how it would go. How you'd, you'd have to get rid of them all somehow until you're left with just one. <laughs> Got one horny boss. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right. Nice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, 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 drum roll, please. We're going to do our Big Boys Academy Awards. Yeah, the the first annual awards from the Big Boys Academy, which is a school where people learn how to be big boys. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so all I did was I just kind of went through all of the films last year, sorted them into order of how I scored them, and then just sort of used that as a rough guide to do to choose just one for each category. But what? How did you do it? So we what didn't I really did, agree on a way to do it. Did we? No, we probably should have done, but never mind. What I did was I um I went I looked through all of the films that I watched in 2018 for the podcast, and then I worked out which ones I felt were best suited to the categories or which actors and actresses I thought were best suited to those, etc. Yeah. Um, so I've got 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 um, main sort of categories. And then I've got some fun ones afterwards for special cool. mentions. I didn't do any fun ones. I only did like actual real ones like the real Oscars because oh, I'm a fucking okay. nerd. <laughs> Okay, so so what was your best picture then? Um, I went for the big sick in the end. Oh, it's quite an interesting choice, but I yeah, I scored very very highly, and I think I also tried to spread things out across all the different categories so that lots of films weren't winning different. Also, each thing went to a different film, which I know isn't how it really works, but I think I'm just democratic like that, and it's my choice. So fuck you. Yes. So 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 for me, (laughs) I split it into two. So for best film, um, I put Ex Machina because I love that movie. But that I is your, that, your fave. That is possibly my favourite movie. Um, but I felt like it wasn't really suitable for this podcast. So I also did Best Romantic Picture. Yeah. Um, and for that, I chose God's Own Country. Um, yeah. Which is a film that I really loved. It was it was quite close between that and The Big Sick. Um, I was the tempted Sick to put God's Own Country. of my Big Boys Awards. Yeah. So See, I, thought, I gave you know God's Own Country Best Cinematography which is ah, okay. obviously very very different but the, the way that the approach to filmmaking i think made a huge difference there and that kind of made sense for me excellent yeah. excellent so so best actor then 
Nicolas Cage, Captain Curly's mandolin. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, for me, it's Ryan Gosling in Lars and the Real Girl. He's great in that. Yeah, that I is really a very, very good, great performance, actually. Yeah. If you haven't seen that, get on that. Um, best Actress. Um, I went serious on this one and went for Kerry Mulligan, Never Let Me Go. Ah, which obviously, okay. as everyone in that film is good, but her performance really, really makes it for me because it's her story and she's telling it and she really gets across the the sadness and the inevitability of it. I just thought she was really good. Yes, that that was really close for me, but um, and and I nearly gave it to it, but again, uh, never let me go on another one of mine. So I went with Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water mm. for Best Actress. Yeah, very good. Very um, good. Be- best supporting actor. Um, I went for Pierce Brosnan in Mamma Mia. Yes, yes. <laughs> Same for me, apart from yes. I wrote it in all capitals and it was Pierce fucking Brosnan. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, brilliant. We're on the same wavelength there. How could we good. not choose Pierce Brosnan? I was hoping we would cross over on at least one. Yeah. Um, best supporting actress. So I went for Julie Delpy in Before Sunrise because you know mm. I had to get I had to get a link later in there somewhere and obviously without her it would just be Ethan Hawke talking to himself like an ass. So, <laughs> um, so for me it was um, Kira Knightley and Never Let Me Go. Um, great, yeah, I, I did consider that. that as well because that's that's one of her best performances for sure. Yeah, it's a brilliant performance from her in that. Um, so, best original screenplay. Did you pick anything for that? I went for um, Sleepless in Seattle. Actually. Ah, very nice. Uh, one of the ones I, th- I felt like it was. It's one where obviously the writing is really, really strong, and it's a real credit to Nora Ephron's legacy. Um, so, that from that point of view, that one was very, very. That was one that I wanted to recognise in that way. Excellent. And then for me, it's The Big Sick, um, yeah. which is yeah, definitely great. a contender. amazing screenplay. There. Did you do a best adapted screenplay? Um, I went for Never Let Me Go. Ah, yes. That's an obvious one. I yes. don't know. What, what else did we watch that was adapted? So I I had it split here between Never Let Me Go and we, we watched a few things that were adapted, but none of them really deserved an award, except I I counted it as a loose adaptation here, 21 Jump Street, because yeah. it's based on an origin, on, on another TV show. Um, and it the, the, the screenplay of that is so funny. I find that film so funny um, that I thought it deserved very funny. Yep. Um, so best oh. director. Um, I went for Guillermo del Toro shape of water. Cause I think that probably actually was my favorite film of 2018. Um, but I wanted to recognize the big sick as one that was really, really good for us on this podcast, but the shape of water, I did absolutely love. And I, obviously so much of that comes down to Guillermo del Toro's vision, not to be a tourist about it, but yeah that was it it's a it's a Guillermo del Toro movie isn't it it feels it's got his mark all over it yeah um so for me it was Alex Garland the next machina I think that movie is beautifully shot yeah brilliantly shot um did you choose a best cinematography um that was God's Own Country as oh yes yes you mentioned um and for me it was um Mike Gluarkis who was the cinematographer on It Follows um, See, I gave it follows best editing, which is kind ah, of sim- similar, excellent. but the way that the scenes all were cut together and the way that it flowed in it follows, I felt was really strong. And again, I wanted to recognise that it there was there was a, a genius of s- s- filmmaking there. Yes, yeah. Um, and um, what have I got next? So, best original score. Um, I went. I gave it to Purple Rain along with best original song, Purple Rain. <laughs> <laughs> and, what uh, and, did you expect 
I also gave it to the Mail on Sunday's Prince. Um, <laughs> Did but, you? But, but I wanted to, I, I, yes. Um, but I, I, I wanted to give a special mention to Disaster Piece for It Follows here as well. Mm, um, yeah, that was very, very good. Yeah. Um, so, so that's where my cool. my official ones end. That that um, was as have, far have as got I got. Ones? No, that was that was all of mine. Cool. Okay, so yeah, okay. you've got like two minutes. Talk me through all your all your fun oh, ones. Oh shit, shit. Okay, okay, right. So best. I education... have to go and pick up my wife from yoga. <laughs> <laughs> best educational film goes to Red Riding Hood for teaching up the teaching us that the wolf cannot cross into holy ground. Um, important yes. information. Excellent. There. Um, the largest number of shades of grey. Fuck you, Fifty Shades of Grey. Not going to you. It's going to only lovers <laughs> left alive. Yeah, there's no for, way we could give any of these to Fifty Shades of Grey. For that lots and tragedy. lots of shades of grey. Um, the best 1990s outfits. This was actually a quite hard-fought category. We had lots of movies of excellent mm. 90s outfits in it. But for me, it's Martha Meet Frank, Daniel and Lawrence. Yeah, um, yeah. For some great 90s outfits there. Um, Jackets the, like you've never seen them. Exactly. Um, the best worst accent... Um, that is a tie between Captain Corelli's mandolin and P.S. I Love You. Yeah, um, for... P.S. I Love You. Well, you know I'm going to choose P.S. I Love You there because <laughs> that film is offensive on every possible level. But, um, but, but uh, Nick Cage and Captain Corelli's mandolin, that is pretty bad. Um, best dog. Um, oh. Where do you think I went with this? Um, Channing Tatum, Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, um, actually, no, I gave um, Ju- Jupiter Ascending best visual effects. Ah, okay, excellent. Because um, again, I wanted to recognise the genius of that film, but there was no good category for it. Yes, yeah. Um, the best worst message to send to its viewers, um, for me, was a tie between passengers for if you're stuck on a voyage, wake <laughs> someone up so they can die with you. Um, and Sierra Burgess is a loser for being a creepy stalker is totally fine. Um, yep. K- biggest, K- yay for catfishing. <laughs> biggest piece of shit, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> yep, truly Hard fought terrible. against Baywatch, that was also really bad. But for sheer awfulness, the Fifty Shades trilogy can't get worse than that. And, yep. and the final prize, the most important prize for us as a podcast, the best shit piece. Um, and that goes to Jupiter Ascending. Yeah, I guess for... that's the logical award, isn't it? I tried it, to be too serious. Exactly. And 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 like Jupiter Ascending is a a great chaotic mess of a film. I really love it. And you can tell when it's a good bad movie like that. Well, not necessarily a bad movie, but a good messy movie. If you yeah. keep thinking about it afterwards, and every so often I will just think about Jupiter Ascending and is 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 hover rollerblades and his little dog ears and, <laughs> I, I love and everything it. I like that i really love that film have really think it's a really wonderful film and yeah, it's so re- different to anything that's out there it's made with love and care and it's goofy and it's silly and it's fun and it's wacky and yeah there's nothing out there like it it's great exactly i really we gave it Jupiter we both Ascending. gave it 14 so 14 out of 20 so that's a good yes yeah so cool. so that was it for my for my um extra rewards great well, there you go. That's it. Big Boys Don't Cry Oscars. Done. Yes. What are we watching next week? Tell me and then I have to go. Um, we will be watching um, Notting Hill. Oh, right. Finally. Yeah. Everyone's been like, "How? when are you going to watch Notting Hill? I'm sure. That's yeah. Cool. Great. Okay. So we better leave it there. But we will be back next week to talk about Notting Hill. If you um, want to talk to us about our Oscars or about the apartment or anything, you can email us bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com or um, tweet us at bigboysdon'tpod. Always love to hear from you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Get in touch.
All right. We'll be back next week to talk about Notting Hill. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.